Vision has just the right mix of music, inspiration and fun to kickstart your day. Rise and shine with Fel and DJ. Weekdays at breakfast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. series is called The Son of God, Understanding the Gospel of John, Part 2. Why is this called The Son of God? Because that's actually what John is trying to prove. The divinity, as well as the humanity, as well as the royalty of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, John ought to know what he's talking about. His credibility is unassailable. He is not just one of the twelve apostles, He's one of the inner circle. He is the foster son of Mary, mother of Jesus. He was filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and the Spirit will teach all things and bring all things to remembrance. John knew Jesus in a way nobody else did. And this is his conviction, and he masterfully conveys it in this amazing gospel. One of the things about Jesus is despite his glory, his grandeur, he is humble, he is meek, he is lowly. Meek not in a weak kind of way, but one that doesn't think about his rights, his entitlements, his what is owed to him. He is th- simply thinking about the God things, the kingdom, the honor of the Father. That's how we understand meekness. It's grace restrained by strength. And the strength means that as we walk in meekness, we decrease, and Christ in us, the hope of glory, increases. That's where the power, the majesty, the glory, and the kingdom all intersect. So in the last program, we looked at the washing of the disciples' feet. Here, we're now going to have the foot washing explained. And our references is John chapter 13, verses 12 to 20. John thirteen twelve to 20. I'm going to read a couple of verses to you from that section. Start with verse 13 and on to verse 14. It reads, Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. In other words, Jesus is our master, and not only that, he's our master role model. Because whatever you see him doing, we should be willing to do as well. Not only was he sinless, and the Bible testifies to that, he's the only person who ever walked this planet who was without sin. Not only that, but he is also perfect in every way. He sets us a template to follow, and nobody can compare it to him in any way, shape, or form. He is singular, and yet, for his disciples, he wants to be reproduced. This doesn't happen overnight. It is a process of growing more and more like Christ. So he's basically saying, if he does the humblest of service towards his followers, we need to also have a mindset of serving even if it's in a humble manner, the people of God and people in general. Because what is 
Christian ministry anyway. Christian ministry is serving God, serving his people, and serving the world itself as best as we can, of course. So Jesus is going to show us some amazing things in this particular passage. It's like so much of what happens in Scripture. Something occurs, and then there's a divine explanation why it happened. It's like the parable of the sower. Not only does Jesus give the parable, he explains exactly what it means. Even in the so-called mysteriousness of the book of Revelation, there's a lot of explanation given. So our particular lesson here, called Foot Washing Explained, will do precisely that. There's no mystery to why Jesus did what he did. He's going to talk about being Lord and Master. We're going to see a great example of leadership in action, that the servant, meaning us, is not greater than the Master, but if we will listen to him and do what he says, we are going to be happy indeed. All right, we're going to read the entire section now from John chapter 13, verses 12 to 20. Our lesson is called Foot Washing Explained, and our reference once again, John chapter 13, verses 12 to 20. So after he had washed their feet, and had taken his garment, and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord. And ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it come, that when it is come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. Our reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 12 to 20, and our lesson is called Foot Washing Explained. All right, John 13, 12, here we go. After the foot washing, Jesus had just left his disciples breathless. After their great supper, he got up from the table and washed their feet. This was a practical test of hospitality, since everyone wore sandals and feet got dirty on the dusty roads. Yet, this was reserved for the lowest of servants, this task of foot washing. Here, the one who holds all authority in heaven and earth, the King of kings and Lord of lords, takes the humble route and washes the feet of his own followers. This was part of his loving his own unto the very end, in a way that is both powerful as well as practical. Now, after the foot washing, he takes his garment, sits in his proper place, and then asks them the question, 
Do you know what I have just done? Or, more accurately, do you realize why I have done this particular task? And the answer from them was probably not, we don't understand, at least not yet. Peter certainly didn't understand because he told the Lord that he should never wash his feet. Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. Peter then says, all right, well, if you're going to be in the business of washing, wash me entirely. My hands and my feet, Jesus says, you're already clean, except for your feet. But not all of you are clean. Of course, when he said, not all, he was referring to the traitor, Judas Iscariot. Lord and Master, verse 13, stating the very obvious, Jesus reiterates something they all know and have received. He is known and called by them as Lord and Master. Basically, to call someone Lord is to say that they are your Master. Not that this is necessarily redundant, it's just synonymous. When we say that Jesus is Lord, we are saying He is the Master of our lives. His wish is our command. And that's how it should be. Because in order to live the blessed life that God has for you, you have to follow Him completely. It is totally, according to His own terms, timing, and territory. So Lord and Master is the right thing to say. He is the boss. And where is all this leading to? Let's see in John 13, verses 14 and 15. Jesus, the Lord, the Master, is demonstrating himself as Jesus, the leader. Now, we hear a lot of talk about leadership. I myself have noted ever since I came to Australia, that's all I heard about was leadership, particularly from my denomination. There is a lot of positive on putting emphasis on leadership, but it's a vast topic, and there's still some territory that has not been totally explored. And what we're going to see is one of those aspects is servant leadership, or leadership that actually leads, meaning it's leadership that takes action. Of course, it's not normal to call Jesus the leader. Of course, he is a leader, but he's more than a leader. He's more than a prime minister, president, potentate, supreme commander, of the armed forces. He's more than that. He's Lord, and he's Lord above all. So just to call him merely a leader is to make him one of many. To call him Lord is to call him the one and only. So first of all, leadership in action. Number one, a great leader is usually a reluctant one, meaning they don't see leadership as some kind of birthright, but allow it to be bestowed on them by others who are in authority. Basically, the reluctant leader is often the best. And oftentimes what happens, they see a need, and then they seek to solve it. A good example is Nehemiah, who was the cupbearer of the Persian king. Nehemiah was Jewish, he's from Jerusalem, but he's living in exile in the Persian court, and it's a privileged life. And yet, when he heard that his people were in great distress, and that the walls of Jerusalem were broken down, and gates were burnt, 
he was so moved with the burden that was upon him that he sought to solve the problem, and he did beyond anyone's wildest imagination. He was, in my opinion, a reluctant leader who was willing to meet a need. Second, a great leader is a servant leader. Yes, the worldly, assertive, the ambitious, and the arrogant believe that leadership is their due, and that people are there to serve them and their vision. Yet Christ, the greatest leader of all, and Lord of all, is a servant leader. He says so in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28. He says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. This is called servant leadership. Finally, the great leader is a role model. They do not ask of their followers anything they wouldn't do themselves. You've no doubt heard the adage, do as I say, not as I do. That is not what we call a great leader. Jesus is saying that as the willing, servant, role model leader, he washed their feet. They should also follow his lead and wash each other's feet. Sounds like a good proposal. And therefore we learn this in John 13, verse 15, an example. Stating again the very obvious, Jesus speaks of setting a wonderful example. They should do to each other what he has done to them. And of course, because he loved his own unto the end, he wants his followers to love one another. It is the greatest testimony of Christian discipleship when somebody who loves Jesus also loves the people of God. Warts and all, bearing in mind all of us, including yours truly, is still a work in progress. So this is the great example. And then in John thirteen sixteen, the servant is not greater than the master. So in order to avoid the noxious attitude of arrogance and the great sin of presumption, and may I say presumption is to presume to know better than God or to presume that your ways are higher than his. Why is presumption such a great sin? Because basically we're putting ourselves in the place of Almighty God. We're looking to ourselves, our resources, our cleverness to do for us what God should be doing all along. The servant is not greater than his Lord. You cannot assume privileges your Lord has not, nor should you expect to shirk responsibilities that your Lord has committed to you. The sent one, which is in Greek, apostolos, where we get the word apostle, the sent one, is not greater than the sender, is an ambassador greater than the king who dispatched him, is a soldier greater than the general who deployed him? Is a minister greater than the Lord who sent him? Of course not. Let's never forget from whom we come and whom we serve. And then in verse 17, happy are you. In a simple one-liner, Jesus summarizes it all. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Think about it. By surrendering your own personal agenda, will, attitude, 
and actions to the King of glory, you will be far more happier, fulfilled, and fruitful than if you persisted in simply doing your own thing. How very true. And then, in John thirteen eighteen, the traitor, Judas Iscariot, is highlighted again. My words are not for all. I know who I have chosen, the eleven and Judas. Yes, Jesus chose Judas, even though he knew that he would be a traitor. But there is a reason. The reason, and Jesus' great passion, was that the scriptures may be fulfilled. That verse is from Psalm 41, verse 9. Psalm 41, 9. He that eateth bread with me had lifted up his heel against me. To receive your host is the height of treachery. In fact, not just to receive, but to betray and turn around and do other things is unforgivable, virtually. In Judas's case, it was far worse. Jesus received Judas as a friend. Judas received from Jesus more than food. He received friendship, discipleship, the words of life, anointing for preaching and miracles, the truth of God, and more. Yet, he still took it upon himself to betray the Master, the unforgivable sin. As it is written in Mark chapter 14, verse 21, and this is from the mouth of Jesus himself, better for that man if he had never been born. John thirteen nineteen revealed for faith's sake, even the betrayal of Jesus had a redemptive purpose. Jesus had given the other 11 disciples early warning about this tragic and treacherous event, so that when it comes to pass, they will believe that he is the one, the chosen one of God. And the last verse for this lesson, John thirteen twenty, receive me. Jesus reminds the eleven and Judas that whoever receives an apostle receives Christ who sent that apostle. Whoever receives Christ receives the Father in heaven. By betraying Jesus, Judas Iscariot rejected both the Father as well as the Son. Now our lesson is called The Foot Washing Explained. What is our lesson for life? Jesus is more than just a leader or leader of leaders. He is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.